You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Nicole Ackman's interview with the production designer for The Favorite, Fiona Crombie. The Queen is an extraordinary person. They're all staring, weren't they? I can tell even if I can't see, and I heard the word fat, fat, and ugly. No one but me would dare, and I did not. She's been stalked by tragedy. Everyone leaves me and dies. I apologize for my appearance. I hoped I might be employed here by you as something. A monster for the children to play with, perhaps. It is important to make new friends in court, is it not? You're so beautiful. Stop it, you mock me. If I were a man, I would ravish you. (laughs) You have become close to Abigail. She is a viper. You're jealous. You must send Abigail away. I do not want to. Let's shoot something. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Next Best Picture podcast. This is Nicole Ackman, and I'm joined today by Fiona Crombie, the production designer of Yorgos Lanthimos' gorgeous and unconventional period drama, The Favorite. Fiona, thank you so much for coming on. Here at Next Best Picture, we are all so impressed by the production design of The Favorite. Ah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. And of course, no disrespect to the cast and the writers, um, and of course, Yogur Theanthemos, but I do feel like the design is really one of the stars of this movie, and it's really getting a lot of attention in this awards race thus far. So what does it feel like to be, you know, a major Oscar contender in the production design category? You know what? It's quite strange because when you're making the films, you don't think about this stuff, you know? So it's, it's sort of... You know, and I always look forward to my films coming out because I'm always fascinated to see how they're finished, you know, how it all comes together. And so what's been amazing is um, just being part of a film that's really reaching people and that people are enjoying. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of most satisfying for me is, you know, I get lots of messages and people are having having a great time at the cinema. And, you know, I mean, that's um, that's that's unique. I haven't had this happen before, so it's kind of great. Yeah, it's wonderful. And so I know that you did um, most of the filming on location at Hatfield House. Can you tell me a bit of the, you know, what the decision to go with that was? You know, there was, there were a couple of key decisions, you know, key factors in that decision. And in fact, that, that was a very early decision. And to, to some extent, I mean, the viability of making the film sort of hinged on finding a location that was available when we needed it to be available, um, that were open to us coming in and, you know, modifying and doing the things that we needed to do, given that, it, you know, it's a it's an incredibly important, you know, heritage building in this country. And so we also need, we were there for quite a long time. And I mean, you know, like blocking out a location like that for a length of time you know, can be quite tricky. So there are lots of things that sort of fortunately came together. But I mean, it was from memory, it was one of the first decisions that was made when the project, you know, the final dates for the go ahead happened. So I think, you know, we would have struggled. I mean, a big factor with Hatfield was the fact that they allow candles. And there are many locations um, in the United Kingdom that are absolutely exquisite, but that you cannot have a, an open flame, you can't have a candle burning and you know I'm sure you know but our entire film was lit with candlelight or natural light so that would have been an enormous compromise for Yorgos if we hadn't been able to find a location that allowed for that 
So, you know, so there are a few key things that sort of led us to Hatfield and then, um, and so it all just sort of came together, really. Oh, that's awesome. So I know when a film is shot on location, there's kind of sometimes confusion about what a production designer ends up actually doing. So can you tell us what you had to do to ready Hatfield House to be um, set to film with there? Well, the thing with Hatfield is that it's, I mean, it's, there's no denying it's an incredibly beautiful building. And the thing that's amazing about it as well is it's very well preserved. So, I mean, in a way you could go in and shoot a film there, but Hatfield as it is today doesn't fit our story. So what we had to do was the first thing we did was basically empty it. So we had to, which was a really complicated task because they, I mean, they just have unbelievable, you know, endlessly priceless <laughs> things there. So there was a lot of negotiation about, you know, art handlers and, you know, the house were incredibly supportive. So the first thing we did was pull, you know, everything that we could out. And there were, you know, there's like in the Great Hall, there's a table that is, I mean, it's like 400 years old or something. So there was no, no, you, we were not moving that. I mean, they did let us shuffle it in this room, but there was absolutely, I mean, you actually couldn't get it out. I think it was built in that room. Um, so there are a few things like that that just had to stay. And from there we brought in our own, I mean, every, pretty much everything. We did, we had some of the tapestries that are there were there and they were absolutely an inspiration for us to sort of add in and, um, really go for the tapestries. Uh, but all the furniture was ours and, you know, so we did all that sort of stuff, but we also, um, did construction in pretty much every space. The only space we didn't do construction in was the gold corridor. Every other room had, you know, elements built within it to help tell our story. I mean, the obvious example is, uh, the secret passage doesn't exist. So, we had to build wall panels and secret doors and then create that passageway. Um, and so that, you know, so every room was modified to tell the story and to bring it in, into the sort of overall aesthetic that we were going for in the film. Right. And I guess also Hatfield House has been used in so many different movies and TV series, even recent things like Paddington yeah. and The Crown. So you have to kind of make sure that it's distinctive from its use in all of those. Well, do you know the thing is we sort of didn't really think about that stuff. I mean, what of course happened was the minute that we started working there was then we became obsessed with seeing it everywhere, you know, like that, you know, like, and so like the Yorgos would come to work and be like, oh, I saw it in something or other. And, you know, and a bit like to be really fair, that's what, I mean, you know, like there are, I sometimes watch films and I see beds that I've hired, you know, for films. You know, so there's like this, that we, we recycle things and that's because there's a certain amount of, um, you know, objects and there's a certain amount of uh, locations that can work. And, um, and also to be all, you know, blunt about it, we're a low budget film. And I, it's been interesting. So I've been asked by people, Oh, did you build the queen's bedroom? And it's like, no, I mean, I had 1.3 million pounds to do the entire film. So I couldn't even, I may, maybe have pulled off that room with that money if I hadn't, didn't have to do anything else, you know? So it's sort of the best thing we could do was work out what our existing assets were and then embellish them and play with them. And so what we were able to do with Hatfield was like lift, um, you know, like a lot of inspiration from, oh, this has got amazing tapestries. Let's add into the tapestries and make the whole room like that. Or look at this great joinery. Let's make the secret 
corridor, the same sort of joinery, you know, so just trying to, in a way, be invisible. And so you can't really tell where our work began and ended. And that's, I think, a good, it's an economic decision as much as it is a creative decision. Right. And I guess speaking of creative decisions, though, obviously Queen Anne lived in many different palaces, Kensington, Whitehall, St. James, Hampton Court. But was there one in particular that you were drawing inspiration from or were you trying to make it seem kind of like, you know, a combination of different palaces? Well, really, um, from an exterior point of view, we were looking at St. James Mm -hmm. and uh, Hatfield House in reality is much smaller than the exterior appears. I mean, there's, they've done, there's a lot of um, set extension with the exteriors. And so just in terms, so what we did was we sort of amalgamated some of Hampton Court's architecture and we um, added it obviously into Hatfield, but then looked at St. James and we looked at, so that was really probably the the main one. From an interior point of view, no, we didn't really use anything as a, as a springboard, mainly because the architecture, the architecture was just, or sort of like room layout, like technically doesn't really work for our story (laughs) so like (laughs) so if you go to like a Hampton Court the way that the rooms work they're they're actually more public so um privacy tended to be just within a bed bed itself like so a lot of the spaces were really quite public or there were sort of some private chambers but it was just a bit more Tony had written a lot of corridor like a lot of walking in corridor and when we went to look for locations, we realized that that actually didn't, didn't really work. You know, there's not a lot of corridor, a lot of stairs. And so we needed to, um, stitch together locations. So we did Hatfield, but we also did Hampton court for corridors and, um, and kind of like fudge it basically because the story and the way that he's the momentum that's within the movement in the story is so much more important than being architecturally accurate in our film. Of course. And I do also have to ask about those kitchens, which are just enormous. Was that um, another place that you filmed? That was Hampton Court. And they are unbelievable, those kitchens. I thought I recognized them because I've been to Hampton Court and I was like, that looks real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so we, again, we were able to, they, we, you know, they were very supportive. There were very strict rules about what we could do there. So again, we did construction, we built the sink area, we built storage areas and we added in all our dressings and, um, they were very strict about, we couldn't touch the walls. There's nothing could go on the floor. You know, that was very, very controlled. And the strangest thing about that working there was it was open to the public. So they would rope us off and not when we were shooting. I mean, when we were shooting, it was open to the public as well. But when we were dressing, we, I think we're probably all in quite a lot of um, tourist photos because people were just <laughs> snapping away as we were dressing. Um, but, yeah, they, I don't think they ever close. I mean, they may be closed, you know, two days a, a year or something. Wow. And another thing I wanted to ask about is the costumes also feel very kind of in sync with the sets and the exteriors even. So mm. did you coordinate at all with the costume designer, Sandy Powell? Yeah, well, the way, I mean, we met up, you know, very early on and had um, – you know, we just sat, I mean, we sort of met several times as, as it progressed and Sandy was, you know, working her way through things. And I was, we were sort of working, we were geographically separated across the other side of London because she was in a studio and I was in a different studio. And, um, 
So that was kind of tricky. So there was no bumping into each other in corridors, but we had a number of meetings and we would just offer up, you know, this is what I'm thinking. The key thing for me with um, Sandy was just knowing that she was going to have a very controlled palette. And then that led me to make the decision with my set decorator that we also needed to have a very controlled palette. Otherwise we, we ran the risk of feeling like we're in quite separate films. So we went down the path of only having, you know, gold textiles and um, being, you know, like having the the dark wood furniture and the gold textiles and in the same way that Sandy had the black and white, you know, with a little bit of blue and red and then she had the denim. So, you know, her stuff was very, very controlled and we did the same um, so that it all felt like, it, you know, it had a, a language that was overarching. And... I also just want to know, do you have a favorite, you know, room that was done for the film or a favorite piece even? Oh, look, it's so, I mean, I'm kind of fond of a number of things. I mean, I absolutely was crazy about Anne's bed and I just wish I'd, I wish I had lied, I had a little lie down in it, but I didn't. We were always too busy and it was, we had that handmade and it was, so it was hand carved and hand painted and it was just really lovingly made. And, um, you know, it was very beautifully done with lots of lovely textiles. And then, so I'm fond of that as a piece. I really loved Abigail's bedroom, which we built in an empty room under the stairs at Hatfield House. And I just was so fond of it because I loved the play on scale. You know, I loved the idea that you come from these vast spaces upstairs and you literally walk down the stairs and you come into this little room which is a little bit like a doll's room. You know, it was all kind of we scaled it down so that, you know, it felt like a little, you know, like a little tiny kind of private box or something. And so I'm fond of that room. And then the other one that I really I'm so I'm proud of for different reasons is the spa because the spa, you know, like I said, we, we struggled for money. We struggled to kind of offer up a film that believably you know, it was about a queen's life, you know, that had a level of luxury. And so that was a real struggle to pull that set off. That was a build in a place called Dance and House. And um, it was a Victorian, stone Victorian kitchen that we had to marble and, you know, we built that space. And it was such a struggle and I'm so glad we did it because I love that beat in the story. So, you know, yeah. So they're my three things that I think of. Amazing. All right. And finally, are there, you know, do you have any ideas about what you're going to do next? If you're allowed to say, do you want to do more period drama? Are you looking to do something a bit different after this maybe? Well, I, I don't have a project coming up. I'm, you know, just having a bit of a break, but I, I would really like, like to do something contemporary. I've sort of accidentally wound up doing quite a lot of things about royalty. So my last film was <laughs> King. And I think that maybe it's because I never, I, you know, like coming from Australia, we don't get to make these kinds of films, you know, very easily there. And so I've really relished um, the opportunity to work on these sorts of period films. But I do really love character films and I really loved, you know, I mean, I started off doing contemporary and, you know, um, films. So I would love to kind of have like, head back in that direction. I'd love to do sci-fi. You know, I mean, the thing is I want to show, I always want to sort of shake it up. I don't want to just do one thing. So, you know, I'm always open to anything. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. And as the team, we all wish you the best of luck thank with you. this upcoming awards season. Thank you so much. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Nicole's interview with Fiona Crombie, the production designer for The Favorite, which is currently playing in theaters right now. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. So if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can also get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, as always, we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.